1: Welcome to The Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out deep into your retirement or somewhere in between, The Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
2: Welcome to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Christine Phelan. Uh, She is a senior financial planner at T. Rowe Price and an expert on retirement planning. Welcome to the show, Christine.
3: Thank you, Jordan.
2: Let's just start with a little bit of your background. You're a financial planner, but give us your background and what you've been doing at T. Rowe Price.
3: Okay. Well, basically, uh, I've been a financial planner for the last 25 years and joined T. Rowe Price about 16 years ago and have been working with them. Um, We've been developing retirement planning strategies for individuals and trying to help thousands of people at the same time.
2: So let's kind of look at the broad picture before we get into some of the details about how people should be doing a better job planning for their retirement. Are most people doing a pretty good job and are pretty well prepared for retirement, or most people not doing such a good job and not prepared?
3: Well, uh, we have a large 401k business at T. Rowe Price, and I would say generally when we look at those balances, we would say that a lot of people are not prepared yet. They're running behind. They have not accumulated the amounts they're going to need. Um, They're not on track.
2: So why is that? They're not having enough income or they're spending too much now? Why is it that people are not putting away enough for retirement?
3: Well, I think by and large, it's been a matter of a whole change in the culture. Their um, parents and grandparents didn't need to save a lot of money. They had pensions, and um, their uh, savings was really for all the extras, and now all of a sudden, we have middle-aged Americans waking up realizing that they are solely responsible for having enough money in retirement, and that's that's an enormous culture shift and very unfortunate because um, it's just crept up on boomers and and now they're very much aware
2: that they're in trouble boomers are retiring at something like ten thousand a day i guess turned 65 so they're actually hitting retirement now um are a lot of them just not having enough to retire and how are they making do if they haven't saved enough
3: well uh some don't even realize it yet so um that's That's certainly going to be a challenge for them. But by and large, what we're encouraging people to do is to start looking at your situation when you're in your late 40s, early 50s, and know where it is you stand and what you've got to do about it. But even if you wait and and you're finding out as late as uh, your late 50s, Um, There are things you can do like delay uh, retirement and keep working and start playing at the same time. Don't uh, just say, oh, I've got to wait until 70 to even start having enough fun. Just keep working. um, Let your investments continue to grow. Hold off on taking Social Security. And um, you're going to be able to enjoy your retirement after all.
2: Now, you say that people need to do benchmarking, as you call it, to determine how much uh, they need and if they're on track with their retirement planning. Mm -hmm. Explain that process and how should people benchmark at different ages uh, what is appropriate that they can uh, put aside.
3: Well, um, by and large, the most important thing is that they understand they're going to need to be saving at least 15% of their salary every year um, as they're going through their working years. So 15% is the first benchmark, and that can include... um, Employer matches, for example, or other contributions from the employer. But that's the bare minimum. So that's the first benchmark is to go back and look at how much you are actually saving each year of your salary. And if you're not close to 15%, then one way to um, improve your situation is to do it gradually. And what you're going to do is sign up if your employer offers auto increase. You sign on the dotted line, and from then on each year, let's say you are contributing 6% this year. Next next year, they'll take 8% out of your salary. The following year, they'll take 10% out of your salary and so forth. So it'll be fairly painless, and you're going to get to where you need to be. And
2: this is assuming you're getting salary increases every year. Because otherwise, it's going to be taking more and more out of your current lifestyle.
3: Well, uh, it is assuming that you're going to get an increase for inflation. It doesn't assume you're going to get promotions. So if you get major promotions, then that at least 15% starts to become more like
2: 20%. So, Okay, so you're saying the bare minimum, as you call it, is 15%. Now, the overall savings rate in the country is about 3 or 4% now, something like that. Um, so, you're saying that lots and lots of people are not even doing the bare minimum, Is that right?
3: That, that's right. They, and, and uh, that's why we spend so much time trying to educate investors um, by writing articles, talking with you on your program, uh, helping our four hundred and one k plan participants, educating them that they've just got to get going on this, and the sooner the better. So. If you are fortunate enough to have an employer plan, what you'll find there is there are a lot of new automatic uh, programs that you can sign up for that make the decision-making a lot um, less painful. In other words, once I sign on the dotted line, it's going to be done for me, and now I can get on with my life with what assets I have left um, to to do what I need to do, and that's going to make it a lot more comfortable for you than trying to make decisions month after month as, as to whether you're saving enough or not.
2: Now, if you have a 401k, you're matched, say, up to 6% of salary, which is typical. Mm-hmm. Um, should you put in more than you're being matched, or is it better to save that outside your 401k, even though it might not be quite as tax-advantaged because you have better investment choices and uh, flexibility as to where you put it?
3: Well, first of all, um, for clarity, I would say that if you have to contribute six, you're probably going to be getting four, uh, three from your employer. So generally, it's probably going to be um, a 50% match. So that would give you nine of the 15 that you need. Now, um, in some cases, it's just plain easier to keep going with your 401k plan and not think about anything else. However, for some people... They um, would like to have the opportunity to contribute to a Roth IRA. They like the idea that they're not putting all their money in pre-tax, which is what most 401K plans still do today. They want to put some in after-tax. And so if you've contributed the six and then you got three for a match through your 401K uh, employer, now you could turn around and contribute the – other uh, let me get my math, <laughs> math straight um nine and uh, uh six uh, another six percent to your roth ira assuming that meets your the uh, limitations the,
2: the, so
3: that, the would have that you could do the money roth is. In a pre-tax and some money after tax
2: the maximum is five thousand a year for the roth is that correct
3: um no it's going up so um this coming year, it's going to be um, 5500 And then if you're 50 or over, you're going to be able to put in 6500
2: So you're saying first max out the 401k, and certainly if you're being matched, 6%. Mm-hmm. And then you may continue on the 401k, but the next alternative would be to max out the Roth IRA if you can.
3: That's right. Now, there is an exception, and it's uh, growing in popularity around the country, and that is that more and more employers are seeing the wisdom of adding what's called a Roth 401k subaccount. So a lot of employers are now beginning to offer uh, in, in employees the opportunity to contribute to the pre-tax 401k like they always have, or maybe contribute some or all after-tax instead to the Roth 401k.
2: So you'd combine those, you'd first do the pre-tax up to 6%, and then if you're a player opposite, you could do the Roth on after-tax money as well.
3: Well, um, actually, you'd do the whole thing if you wanted to with the Roth after tax. The employer match still comes in and sit, sits in a pre-tax, a taxable sub-account. So, but you could put it all in the Roth if you wanted after tax, and your employer would still match the 3% and put it in a taxable um, uh, A um, tax deferred account that when that money came out, it would be taxed.
2: The one downside of that is you are limited to the options offered in your 401k, whether it be a regular or a Roth. Whereas outside in a Roth on your own, you could do individual stocks, you could do mutual funds, you could do whatever you like.
3: Well, that is true, but you have to weigh um the the other thing that's happening at the same time is that if you have a roth four oh one k opportunity then um there you're not limited to that uh what we were talking about five thousand five hundred or six thousand five hundred limit instead um in today's world you'd have for uh somebody under 50 years old you'd be able to contribute in 2013 $17,500 and if you were 50 or older you could add another 5,500 so instead of being limited to 6,500 a year you could contribute 23,000 a year if you're 50 or older so that that's a trade-off that might be worth considering
2: yeah talk a little bit about the savings goal that you're trying to achieve? Is it a particular dollar amount you have in mind or, or exactly what is it, that it the goal that you're trying to achieve?
3: Uh, The goal you're trying to achieve um, the way we've come up with our numbers is to start by saying, what percent of my salary am I going to need to replace with something once I'm retired? And if you think about the 15% you're contributing today, theoretically, and the FICA taxes you're paying and maybe some other obligations you have you probably um, have reduced the amount of your salary that you actually have available to spend by about 25%. So if you think of it that way, then what we need to replace for you once you are retired is about 75% of what you've been making. So if we look at that figure, then we say, well, where is that money going to come from? And certainly a good portion of it, in today's world, it's probably going to come from your own savings, like we were saying. If you're lucky, you might have a pension. The other big um, uh, contributor is going to be your social security benefits. So, if we again make another ballpark estimate and say, well, we've got 75%. Now, what's going to come from withdrawals from our nest egg? Well, the answer there we're coming up with is about So, if I was making $80,000 when I retired, then I would be expecting that $40,000 would come from withdrawals every year, and the rest of the money I needed for retirement would come from Social Security and maybe from a pension or part-time job or some other small amount of income.
2: Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman with The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Christine Phelan. Uh, she's the Senior Financial Planner and Retirement Planning Specialist at the mutual fund firm of T. Rowe Price. We'll be back after this.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Christine Phelan. Uh, she's the Senior Financial Planner at T. Rowe Price Mutual Funds and an expert in retirement planning. Welcome back to the show, Christine. Thank you, Jordan. We were talking about uh, taking money out. You're you're saving uh, enough to be able to replace 75% of your salary, which which you're saying, Uh, but then you want to figure out how much you should be taking out. You're saying 50% of it uh, should be withdrawals, and then Social Security and pension, and then you should be fine. Is that the calculation you're talking about?
3: Yes, it is. So if you were making um, $80,000 as you retired, then $40,000 would be coming from your nest egg.
2: Now, what does that total amount to uh, to be able to keep that level of withdrawals? How much in total capital do you need to accumulate roughly uh, as a lump sum to be able to accumulate that uh, and and live a decent life in retirement?
3: Well, it's a very large number. So um we encourage people to focus on the process more than that number because the pro- the number can be paralyzing the number as uh, by the time you reach retirement age you should have saved between 10 and 12 times your salary So it's a very big number, and for a lot of people, if they focus on that, they simply stop saving altogether. So we encourage them to focus on what they can control, which is the day-to-day, keep that 15% going, and by the time they reach retirement age, hopefully by then they will have saved that uh, multiple that they need. So, if we're talking about an example of an eighty thousand dollar salary at retirement, this would mean that that individual would uh, hopefully have saved by then eight hundred thousand dollars.
2: So, uh, how does life expectancy uh, play into all this? I mean, are you supposed to assume a certain life expectancy so that we the money do- will last?
3: We do assume a certain life expectancy, so um, if you're out of the norm uh, uh, and have serious health conditions, then um, all bets are off. It's probably a very different conversation that we'd be having with you. But generally speaking today, um, we have single individuals, in particular you could think of women who have a long um, longevity histories in their family where their mothers or grandmothers lived. into their into a hundred, um, they need to be worried about living from 65 to 95. Certainly, um, couples, if you've reached 65, there's a high chance that one of you is going to live to 95. So, given all of that, we tend to focus on a 30-year retirement.
2: It's
3: a long time <laughs> that's a very long time, which is why that number is so large. Why do I have to have a number that I've accumulated that's so high? Well, it's there for a couple of reasons: One is the length of time that you have to have cash flow coming out of that nest egg um, and the second is that you can't just withdraw. The same amount each year for the next 30 years. After 20 years, it'll only be worth that withdrawal amount would only be worth half as much as it is today. So you couldn't possibly maintain your standard of living if you're planning on taking the exact same dollar amount out each year for the next 30 years. So instead, what our numbers show us is that you start out by withdrawing a very small amount and then each year after that you increase that withdrawal amount for inflation. So, for example, if I were to take out $4,120 the first year, um uh, 4000 the first year. The second year, I'd take out $4,120. The next year, I'd take out $4,244. So each year, I'd be increasing for inflation. And as you can imagine, those withdrawal amounts get bigger and bigger as you go along. And that's why you have to have such a large starting amount if you're going to retire for 30 years.
2: Now, you have some tools on the T-R-Price website that can help people figure these things out. Explain a little bit about the tools you have to help them make these calculations.
3: Sure. Um, We have a tool. um, It's called the Retirement Income Calculator. It's very simple to use, very simple to understand, and lets you do what-if situations. So you can say to yourself, all right, I want to look at what if I retire at 60 what would my income look like in retirement? Maybe I say, ooh, I don't really like that answer. What if I waited until 64? And you could try that one. You can um, make all kinds of choices as to, well, what if I contribute 10%? I'm not sure I can do 15. And that'll show you how much income you'd have at certain ages. So there are lots of variables you can play with, including when I'm going to take my Social Security, how long I think I'm going to live, what age I'm going to start taking my benefits, and when I'm going to start withdrawing. And all of that, if you play around with that tool, you're going to have a really good sense of what's going to work for you and what isn't. And that's really what we want you to do is to educate yourself and, and make sure you understand for yourself which variables are going to have the most impact on giving you the kind of retirement you want.
2: So tell people exactly where they can find that on the T. Price website.
3: Okay. It's at the www.troprice, that's T-R-O-W-E, price, all one word, .com. And then a forward slash and RIC, small letters, R-I-C, that stands for Retirement Income Calculator.
2: Very good. Now let's talk about the timing of your savings. Uh, A lot of people, particularly younger people, uh, have credit card debt and they've got student loan debt and mortgages and all that. They'll say, well, let me pay that debt off first and then I'll start saving for retirement. Is that a good idea?
3: It certainly is not, and it's really counterintuitive because we all like to be logical and sequential. And in this case, that's exactly the opposite of the way you ought to be thinking. So the most important thing for you as a young investor who has debt and is thinking way down the road about retirement is to make sure you contribute as much as you can as early as you can. So if you're still in your 20s, you should be starting to save for retirement. If you have an employer plan, you should always contribute enough to get any match. You don't want to leave any money on the table. And the beauty of contributing early and often is that once you get that money, uh, you're priming the pump. From then on, that money is going to compound tax deferred for years and years, and um, you're going to have stock in the portfolio, and that's going to give you the potential for growth over years and years. And so, what you're doing is leveraging relatively small contributions early in your life where they will just uh work on their own. You won't have to do as much heavy lifting if if you get started early. If you don't put time on your side, as we were talking about earlier, where now you're in your 50s and you're trying to catch up, wow, what a difference. Now you don't have compounding on your side. There's very little time left. And so you have to do more and more of the contributing yourself. And you're putting more dollars in, and then getting them right back out again, and that is not the ideal approach. So, for so person, excuse yeah. me. So if that, so if that's your retirement, what you need to do for retirement, then what are you doing with all those student loans and credit card debt? Well, yes. you're paying it off. Uh, as you can, but you're not trying to do it sequentially you maybe you're just contributing or paying off the minimum amounts that are due, and that way uh, you're able to put money you can afford to put money into retirement and then let's say you've been doing that for ten years um now the money's growing on its own. Um, over a long period of time and tax deferred. And now you're freed up if you need to, to pay, really pay off the credit cards, the student loans, save for your children's college, pay for the uh, down payment on a house, and so forth. So it's illogical, but. At the end of the day, what you want to remember is you're always trying to put time on your side for retirement so that you have more and more years for that money to compound.
2: Give us an illustration of the difference between starting to save early, say 20 through 29, uh, versus starting later. Just give us a sense of what difference that makes to get compounding working for you.
3: Yes, um, it's, it's just amazing how um, you could contribute, for example, for 10 years, $100 a month um, and, and end up at age 65 with $150,000, let's say, saved. In contrast, you could not contribute for the first 10 years and instead contribute $100 a month for the next Thirty-three years, and guess what? You'd end up having accumulated the same amount of money. That's this is assuming what rate of return does for you.
2: This is assuming what kind of rate of return? Seven. Seven percent. Uh huh. Mm hmm. That's yeah. Deferred. Do you find that a lot of young people understand the, the value of their youth?
3: Uh, they certainly do not, and um, I get very excited when I'm out talking to young groups, because once we talk about this particular phenomenon of the first 10 years versus the next 33, they wake up, and I found it to be very, very powerful. If you can work smarter, not harder, that's what we're all trying to do. We've got the same amount of money, so let's do the best we can with it and leverage it as best we can, and and there's nothing better than putting more time on your side.
2: Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Christine Phelan. Uh, she's the senior financial planner uh, specializing in retirement planning at the mutual fund firm of T. Rowe Price, based in Baltimore. We'll be back after this.
3: From the
0: boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Where do you stand with your money? Let me put this question a different way. Where do you think you stand with your money? Managing money effectively can mean wealth, success, and contentment. Not managing the right way can lead to stress, anxiety, and even health problems. To reach your financial goals, Tune in to money, jobs, health, and other things of life with host Gordon Bennett. Every day we are faced with choices, and the wrong ones can be hard to correct. Don't make a bad financial choice. Listen every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
1: You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Christine Phelan. Uh, she's the senior financial planner specializing in retirement planning at the T. Rowe Price Mutual Funds Group. Welcome back to the show, Christine. Thank you, Jordan. All right, so now we're clear that they they need to be putting aside money for retirement. The earlier, the better. Let's talk about how they should be investing uh, that money, uh, particularly if they do, as you say, and start earlier. uh, How much do they put into stocks versus bonds versus cash at different uh, parts of their life cycle?
3: Well, when you're um, in your 20s and 30s and early 40s, you want to be putting most of your money into stocks. So your asset allocation, the percentage of your portfolio in stock funds would be uh, in the neighborhood of 90%, maybe 80%, but very heavily weighted toward stocks. And then the rest would be in bonds, uh, bond funds, and short-term bond funds. But uh, again, it would be more like an 80% stock, 20% bond allocation then as you gradually get closer to retirement and you're now in your 50s um and approaching age 60, you would have ratcheted down gradually the percentage you have in stock, and by the time you are at age 65, for example, you'd be roughly at a 50-50 position where only about 50-55% of your portfolio would be in stock funds and um, the 45% would be in bond funds. So uh, quite a difference as you get closer to retirement, but when you're way out there again, you want to put the growth opportunities that stock funds provide, um, get them working to your advantage over that long time period.
2: So this is not dependent on what's going on in the market. If you see a, a bear market coming, and you know we're in 2008, the market's about to fall precipitously, uh, you shouldn't let that
1: worry you.
3: In fact, just the opposite if you're young. And this is a message that also is a very important one for young investors to understand. They are not in, a, in the same situation as those who are about to retire. They're in an opposite situation. For them, they're contributing every month out of payroll deduction, for example. They're contributing the same amount every month to their retirement accounts. And guess what? They want the price of those stock funds, the shares of their stock and bond funds that they're going to buy anyway, to be as low as possible. So instead of fleeing the market when you're young, you should be pouring extra money in under payroll deduction when the markets are really down because you can buy more shares, what you care about is when you approach retirement, you want all of those shares to uh, experience a bull market and appreciate significantly in value so that by the time you do start withdrawing money, that you have a handsome nest egg.
2: But it you easy, are but not in the same
3: situation as, as those boomers who are looking at a low balance for their portfolio and saying, I can't withdraw from a low balance. That's just going to make my low balance even lower.
2: It sounds easy, but psychologically, it's difficult to pour money in when
3: the market's plunging. Well, you know, when I'm talking to women's groups and I say, you know how to buy on sale, they all laugh and they say, I sure do. So I think it's a matter of getting your head around it, but it's really not that different. And we all love a good sale.
2: When um, you're investing in the stock portion, how should you diversify that amongst different sub-assets within the stocks?
3: Well, um, getting international as well as domestic is very important. Um, It's also important that you have some large cap stock and small cap stock as well as mid cap. Um, You really need the whole spectrum of different kinds of investments um, in the stock market because um, we certainly don't know which one is uh, sub-asset class is going to be the winner in the coming year. And We know from history that very rarely is it the same sub-asset class that succeeded so well last year. It's often a very different one. So we don't know which one it's going to be or which ones it's going to be that are the winners and the losers. And that's why diversification is so important because you want to be with some winners and you don't know which ones they're going to be. So that's the way you accomplish that. Challenge with the unknown ahead of you.
2: Uh, now, uh, there are these kind of all in one funds, the target date funds, uh, that uh, you start off aggressive and then it becomes conservative. Um, they seem to have a kind of a mixed record. What is your sense of, of the idea of doing that instead of picking your own allocation yourself?
3: Well, I would say that um, for the majority of us, uh, we, we just. Um, have never learned how to design a portfolio. Um, we certainly don't know how to rebalance our portfolio from year to year or ratchet down as has been we described a few minutes ago where each year maybe I shave a little of the stock off of the allocation and increase the bonds there's a lot that goes into managing a portfolio from year to year, and I often use. The analogy of I go to Jiffy Lube. I have no idea what is going on under my car's hood, and 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 I don't want to learn. So for some people who are hobbyists and love investing, by all means, they should pick their own funds, rebalance annually, uh, reallocate periodically, uh, research new funds. All of that is very exciting for them, and they can probably do a very good job. On the other hand, the beauty of these target date funds is that so much is being done by the portfolio manager, who is essentially juggling a fund of funds. So rather than manage all of the individual securities him or herself, that portfolio manager is basically picking the right amounts of different funds and putting them into one so that when you buy a share or sell a share, you're getting the entire mix.
2: Now, a lot of people say you do this right and you've accumulated a good amount of money by the time you retire, you've got a 401K balance you want to roll over. The problem today is that you earn pretty much nothing on a money market fund, CD, treasury bills even long treasuries at one and a half percent, not enough to live off of. So what should people who've even done it right do today to be able to generate enough income to be able to uh, live decently?
3: Well, I think um, a lot of that is also another paradigm shift that we all have to get used to. And that is that for uh, parents, or especially grandparents, um, many of them lived off a of pension and they had this side account. And uh, that was just there for the extras, as we were saying. And um, and so they basically had a pension, and um, they didn't have to worry about uh, living off of the uh, principal or the income. And so they ended up with this mantra that said, well, uh, when I want to do something special, I'll spend the in- income and not invade the principal. That'll be for real emergencies. Well, today we can't do that. Uh, One of the big reasons is that we're looking at 30-year retirements. And for many of us, we don't have a pension. So now the whole thing has changed so that we can't look at that principal and interest paradigm anymore. We've simply got to look at a well-diversified portfolio that still has a, a good component of stock in it, stock funds, and that's going to give us the growth potential we need over the long haul. And then, if you think about it, uh, we had a whole decade when the stocks didn't do that well, and the bonds were doing quite well. So it's back to diversification. We just don't know in any given year or series of years what's going to be most successful. So now we think of everything in terms of a total return concept, and we say, I need to withdraw back to our $4,000 we were using as as an example. I need to withdraw $4,000. Well, I'm going to take it from the portfolio, and I'm not going to pay any attention to whether somebody would define that as principal or income, and that's called a total return concept. So that's what you're going to do is maintain your diversification throughout retirement, Maintain your allocation to stock funds as well as bond funds, and focus on the total amount that you're amassing and the total amounts you're withdrawing, and not worry about how we define it.
2: When the stock market was down, say in 2008, 2009, people doing this were freaking out because they were taking out these withdrawals at low prices. It meant they didn't have the capital to recover in many cases. So... It's fine with the stock market's rising, but how does the strategy work if the stock market's falling?
3: Well, um, those are just such serious times. And if you're fortunate enough not to have retired yet and that happens, you stay working if you possibly can. But a lot of people retired and then it happened. And now what do you do? So... At Terra Price, um, we've run a lot of computer simulations and analyses, and one of the things we've suggested uh, b- based on um, the results of our analyses is that if nothing else, what you can do is you're withdrawing from your portfolio, but don't increase for inflation for a few years. Now, instead of simply cutting your withdrawal by, let's say, 25 30% because that's what the market decline was. You can't do that because you can't afford to live on the budget you've been living on if you cut your withdrawal dramatically. So instead, one compromise is to say, okay, I can't really cut into my withdrawals significantly, but I can certainly stop taking any increases over the next few years. So maybe inflation will hurt me a little bit, but I can manage that fixed income type of living for three to five years if I have to. And by that time, hopefully there's been a rebound in the market and you can gradually get back on track.
2: Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Christine Phelan. Uh, She's the senior financial planner specializing in retirement planning at the mutual fund firm of Kiro Price. We'll be back after this.
0: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at the American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business, or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel, or listen on demand to our archived shows. We all face some economic uncertainty in our life. What makes the difference is how we take command of that and survive. Tune in to Strategies for Financial Survival with host Michael Figueroa. Michael has been up and down the road to success several times and along with his guests will share the skills of survival. By assessing your strengths and skills and applying them to your future, you can make it through tough times regardless of your field. Listen every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Christine Phelan. Uh, She is the uh, senior financial planner specializing in retirement planning at the T. Rowe Price Mutual Fund Firm uh, based in Baltimore. Welcome back to the show, Christine.
3: Thank you, Jordan.
2: There are a lot of risks that retirees are facing. Uh, Give us some of the risks and how people should mitigate those risks.
3: Well, there certainly are, and the biggest one of all is running out of money. So um if we start with uh that one and we also think about the risk we were talking about earlier that um I won't be able to uh run out of lifestyle because I won't be able to increase my withdrawals anymore when and, and counter inflation that way. Those two are the biggies, and what do we do about them? Well, the problem with simply relying on um, your investment portfolio is that it's subject to market volatility, and we've been talking about that. So let's look at something that is going to be coming to you that isn't subject to market volatility, and that's Social Security. So your Social Security benefits will be coming to you Um, throughout your retirement, and each year you're going to find out whether they've been adjusted upward for inflation. So, for example, in um, the coming year, it's going to be a a, um, 1.7% increase in your benefit for inflation if you're already starting to take your Social Security benefits. Well, that's pretty nice because now I'm if the worst case happened and I ran out of my nest egg because I had all these unexpected expenses I, I, I couldn't escape, I would still have a guaranteed income stream through Social Security, and it would be going up each year uh, adjusted for inflation if there is inflation. So that is what we call um, income diversification, where you've got income that's coming from markets uh, which are volatile and where you're taking withdrawals, and then you've got this other guaranteed income that's coming from Social Security that is highly predictable. So, The point is maybe you'll also be fortunate enough to have a pension um, and maybe you'll have a part-time job or rental income from some properties you own. But you definitely want to focus on different types of income that rely on different situations. And for Social Security, the increases you get, by waiting each year before you take your benefits, are due to IRS formulas. They're not increases due to market volatility, increases and decreases. So you need to think about that before you start taking your Social Security benefits because every year you wait to start taking them, they go up about 8% a year. And that's by formula, not because of market conditions.
2: Now, a lot of people talk about Social Security. The politicians saying it's unsustainable, and particularly they're talking about changing the cost of living in- increase adjustment. Um, is this something that baby boomers retiring today just shouldn't worry about, or is, is it something to worry about in the coming years?
3: Well, I, I think we have to uh, focus on what we do know, and that is that if they make adjustments right now, we do know that if they don't make any adjustments, we will reach a point when they will reduce boomers' benefits by 25%. If they didn't do another thing, boomers' benefits would would be reduced in, like, I think it's 2034, but don't quote me. Um, well, if that's the case, I'd still rather go for the largest benefit I can get now so that when they reduce it, I'll still have the largest three-quarters of a benefit when that happens. So it's still, no matter what happens to Social Security, it would seem as if, It's always to your advantage to try to go with a higher amount if you can.
2: Um, Is it better always to wait until 70 to take Social Security? My understanding is that something like 70% of the people who are able to take Social Security at 62 start taking it the first moment they're able to get it, and therefore they're missing out on a lot of payments. What is the best strategy there?
3: Um, We are quite upset to see those numbers, too. because we want to get the word out there through your show, uh, tell people to stop, wait, and listen before they do that. Um, Certainly um, the most important rule about the Social Security payments is to understand that if you're married, when one of you dies, the surviving spouse, which could be the man uh, just as easily as the woman, is going to receive the higher of the two spouses' benefits they're not going to get both anymore. Once one spouse dies, you get the higher of the two benefits. That argues for the spouse who already is getting the larger benefit to wait all the way until 70 to get the very highest benefit for whichever spouse survives. So that is is a guideline that many people miss and can make an enormous difference in what happens to you as the survivor. And um, in the meantime, you say, well, we are going to need at least some of that money way before then. Okay, well, the compromise would be hold off until up to age 70 for the higher Social Security beneficiary and start taking the other uh spouse's benefits early, maybe at 62, maybe at 66. And that way you have your take and eat it too, um, but the survivor comes out with significantly more income over those final years.
2: We've talked about income diversification, but uh, you also think that tax diversification is important to mitigate uh, retirement risk as well. How does that work?
3: Well, you know, we're back to the same old song about um, what we don't know. How are we to deal with unknown market conditions, unknown Social Security changes in the tax laws? Um, here we are again. We don't know what's going to happen to tax rates, and our marginal rates could vary many times over a 30-year retirement period, for example. It's not just what's going to happen next year, it's what's going to happen in 10 years and 15 years and 20 years. So how do you get ready for that when you don't have any clue as to what's going to happen? And what we're suggesting with the tax diversification is that you make sure you have some of each type of account. So you have some of your money in a taxable account where you have perhaps uh, you've inherited some stocks from From um, your grandfather, well, those are in your taxable account. Maybe you've got an emergency fund and that's in your taxable account. And over time, you've diversified and you have some nice uh, diversified uh, balanced mutual funds in your taxable account. So that's one. And then the second one is the one we all seem to have, which is our tax-deferred IRAs and 401K plans, 403Bs. All of those assets are sheltered in tax-deferred accounts. And finally, we have the third kind, which we started talking about earlier in the interview, and that is the Roth. And what's so different about the Roth, uh, are there are really two key differences. One is um, the income comes out, Uh, the principal and income, come out income tax-free if you meet the rules. And number two, the Roth IRAs don't have required minimum distributions. So that means you've got this nice set of three different kinds of accounts with the middle one, the tax-deferred account, being the one where when you reach 70.5, if not sooner, you've got to start taking money out and you're going to pay taxes on the withdrawals. But let's say you do that, you're doing nicely um, with your income and paying your taxes and living nicely in retirement, and all of a sudden, you're told you need a new roof on your house. So all of a sudden, you've got to go in and take a lot more out of your tax-deferred account. And if you do that, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have to pay more in taxes, which might put you into the higher marginal bracket. So one solution, once you have this flexibility and you've diversified your accounts, you could say, well, you know what? We're going to take the 20000 we need for the roof repair, um, and we're going to take that from the Roth. And guess what? It's not going to push us into a higher tax bracket because it's income tax-free, and it's been growing nicely, and it's a nice side account that is available when we need it just for events like this. So that's Uh, why you want to diversify.
2: Very good. We have about two minutes to go. You say it's also important for people who are still in pre-retirement mode to practice retirement. What do you mean by that?
3: Well, it can make a big difference to you to continue working during your 60s, but start playing, start retiring as soon as you reach your 60s. That way you've got your salary and benefits supporting you and they're funding your fun. Well, you are putting more time on your side, so that your nest egg can continue to grow, and you can defer your social security benefits for longer.
2: So, a lot of people, when they get to retirement, really it's it's a they're dropping off a cliff. They really haven't planned for it at all, and they kind of feel lost to some extent. Is that right?
3: Well, yes, and the other nice features of practice retirement are not just the financial but also the emotional adjustments because it takes a lot of emotional adjustment for most of us to think about being home 24-7 with our spouse or missing our friends at the office after many years of a steady routine. So that and getting your financial house in order, it's a great time to pay off the mortgage. And the holy grail, I think, is to buy those big ticket items. If you've been wanting a sailboat in your retirement and that's part of your dream, then buy it by all means in your 60s while you're still working and have benefits. And that way, you won't be tapping into your nest egg, which you need for your daily income stream, once you do fully retire.
2: Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Christine Phelan. She's the senior financial planner and a retirement planning specialist at T. Rowe Price. Uh, the website, again, to find out more about the calculator they have is T.RowePrice.com RIC for retirement income calculator. And thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Christine.
3: Thank you, Jordan. It's been my pleasure.
2: And we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.
1: Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.